You're listening to the very first season ever of the Lifestyle Company Podcast, hosted by Kristen Forgion, designer, public speaker, and creator of Organic Desert Living. If you like talking design, business, and life without the filter, you came to the right place. In just six years, Kristen grew a one-woman side hustle into a multi-million dollar creative business. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Armed with grit and hard work, Kristen comes to you unapologetically with some tough love. They say wine is cheaper than therapy, and lucky for you, we've got that last part covered. So pour up and let's get to it. All right, you guys, Barb's is back for lucky number 13. This ended up being a long-awaited episode because we wrapped the first season and I had every intention of recording Lucky Number 13 right after, but life got in the way and so I am just now getting back into the booth to do this. So I am sorry for those of you who have been waiting a long time and for those of you that didn't even realize that there was a lull by the time you're listening to this, it's all new to you anyway. So this first season has been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful. I've learned so, so, so much about myself and about you guys and about the passion that I have for helping small business owners and creatives to find their way in this crazy world, right? And it is it is such a crazy, crazy world that we keep showing up for and keep coming back for more of. So it's been incredible. I mentioned previously that I don't know if we'll have a season two and I'm still on the fence. I keep waiting to like have some news for you guys where I'm like, no, we're definitely doing a season two. We have a lot of things happening. We are opening our flagship location. So it's actually our second location, but it is our first flagship. So that's happening right now. We are growing our inventory like crazy online for our e-commerce business. We are doing more and more more new builds. We are working out of state more. We are still doing our always favorite um, interior projects from kids rooms to master bedrooms to full home schemes. Um, We are doing so much. We are in talks for, you're gonna hear it here first, a potential furniture line collaboration. You guys know I want a book. Um, There's so, so much to do. So I hope that we can figure out how to keep the content on this podcast at the top of our game. And if so, then then I'll keep doing it and we'll keep doing it. So again, I just want to thank you guys for all of your support in this first season. It was amazing. Getting to know you all has been so, so wonderful. And I hope you enjoy Barb's bonus episode number 13, all of the Q and A's. What Enneagram number are you? I am a number. Wait, what number do you guys think I am? Tell me in messages. I'm a number two, which is the helper. And I'm not surprised that I'm a two, but I was surprised our entire company took it. And I was surprised by some of the other members of our team and what numbers they were. It's kind of interesting. These tests are always really interesting. Um, But yes, I am a number two. To the person that asked that, tell me what you think about that. If you if you hear on the other side here. Um, specifics on how to price to be profitable and scale your business. So this is from another designer. Um, I have to preface this by saying every single business and model and strengths and weaknesses are going to be different. So I think the first thing to do, specifically if you're in design, 
is to establish what your strengths and weaknesses are within design. Design is one of those, those industries that there is a plethora of different types of business models. You can price yourself in completely different ways. You can take on different types of work at the broadest level, which is the difference between, let's say, residential and commercial, all the way down to the most finite level, which would be I kind of a more of a niche market where let's say you only do residential kids rooms. So obviously the range within those focuses are, are going to be very different. So the first thing you need to do is really figure out what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. Then you have to figure out from a scale perspective, what do you want? What do you want? We always talk about on this podcast specifically three years and five years and, and kind of right now. So right now, three years and five years. Don't bother planning outside of five years. It's not gonna happen that way. There will be a million changes between now and then. So try to focus on a more immediate timeline so that you can have bigger impact in what you're, you're trying to do. I think the number one rule in being profitable is actually understanding what your costs are. I told a story at one point on one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a terrible podcast host. But um, on one of the episodes, I talked specifically about how it took me about two years, gosh, maybe it was even in like my third year, to sit down and really hash out what my cost was, what it actually cost my company to be able to service a project. So that included everything from initial meeting to correspondence, to design, to sourcing, to procurement, to management, to install, to post-install work, to photography, to press, everything, what that actually took. Once I got that number, it was incredibly alarming, in fact, very scary, because then I had gone back to some recent contracts that I had written and I wasn't even covering my cost. That was an incredibly eye-opening, eye-opening, very, very impactful moment for me. So I think you have to figure out what it's actually costing you. Then let's say you perform different services. If, if you can figure out how much those services cost you, you will very easily be able to say, okay, well, clearly this one is not helping me because I can see what I've been able to produce from a revenue standpoint and it's not profitable. You will be amazed how quickly you stop doing that as soon as you can see you stop saying yes as soon as you can see that it's just not profitable. The other thing from a, just a very basic level is understanding your, your um, costs in terms of overhead. Stay at your house for as long as you can. Try to hire um, 1099 or hourly employees until you really have enough work that you can offset their cost with trackable revenue. Um, all of those things will help you to be profitable so that you can figure out where you can grow and where you can scale. And we talked a little bit about business coaching and I've gotten several requests for it. And it's definitely something that I have on my mind and I hope we'll be able to incorporate in the future as a business owner. And I am still the principal designer and creative director of our company. So until I feel like our team is at a place where I can step away and be able to show focus to other businesses, um, which does not mean that we're not there. It just means that right now I'm consulting our team every minute of every day and they are very self-sufficient, but it's still gonna take me a while until things can kind of run without that immediate time, I am still every day apologizing to our team saying, I'm sorry, I know I, I know I didn't get a lot of time with you today. I'm sorry, I know I didn't get a lot, a lot of time with you today. Marketing, I got no time with you. Buyer, I haven't seen or talked to you in over a week. Like until all of that kind of evens itself out, I just feel like it's not fair to our team for me to be dedicating more of my time to another person's growth or team. But I think it will happen at some point and when it does, We'll start putting wheels in motion so that we can actually have some sort of package and, and program that then I can hopefully help people all over the country get their businesses to, to a better and more profitable state. 
Moving right along here. What are the best companies for custom shades, Roller and Roman, particularly in Arizona? Um, we use a lot of Bali and Levelor. They are great products. They are both actually produced right here in the state. So the lead time on them is relatively quick. And there are several different distributors and retailers who sell Bali and Levelore. If you go on their websites, they the websites will direct you where the best place is to purchase them. This was another good one. Time management. How the heck do you get so much done in a day? <laughs> it's funny because when you're me or when you're our team, I don't think that we think we get that much done in a day. <laughs> I really don't. But then I talk to other people and when we have new people join our team, often the consensus is like, wow, you guys move at a pace that is not normal. <laughs> and we just laugh because we're like, this is our normal and this is the pace that we move and this is what we're used to. So um, I think you're probably expecting me to say, I use this app, I use this system, I'm uber organized, I, I do all these things. I totally don't. I'm kind of old school in that way. Um, I actually hate paper. Like I, I have an intense hatred for paper. So I am the anti-planner, physical planner person. Like I don't write things down in a planner. I live and die by my phone. We play calendar roulette, which is what we pretty much do every Monday, which is where we take all of our requirements and obligations and we actually plot time. We block schedule everything that we have to do every single thing. So we're allotting 15 minutes to go here, three hours to design this, two hours to do that, and an hour and 15 minutes for a call. And because there's so many of us in the office now, we are able to get a lot more done because we, we kind of divide and conquer. There really isn't a time that we are all working on something unless it is a huge build or a huge requirement or there's both technical aspects and creative aspects. Then we kind of split the requirements and we will send two people onto technical and two people onto design. Um, how else do we get a lot done? We really do, and if you have kids in the car, I'll let you stop now because I'm about to drop an F-bomb. Um, it's funny that I picked that up on episode 13, right? I'm giving you the warning on episode 13. <laughs> um, we have a group note that is called Let's Not Fuck This Up. And that is where we keep everything. So all of the people on our team have access to it. Each person changes it and it's just always running and always, we call it a working document. It's a working document that's always changing. And the reason why I have found that it works, although there are some apps that, that do the same thing, I have tried them all. For me, the app becomes more work than it is to sometimes just be able to brain dump. I don't know if any of you guys are brain dumpers, but I'm a brain dumper. I am a, I have 15 minutes to get everything in my brain out so that someone can help me do something with it. So however many of those 15 incre minute increments happen in one day, that's where we put it. So then if one of the designers is on the phone with someone and they're able to get some more information about something, everything is listed there. And then we're just constantly leaving notes that we're, that we're able to look back through and understand that something's been done. We don't delete anything off of it until, I'm usually the only one who deletes stuff. So we'll check it off and then I'll be able to go through it and I'll, I'll see what's happening and, and what's, what I can delete. Um, it also works really well because one of us is inevitably always traveling somewhere, either business or personal. And so instead of me having to text, let's say Kylie, like, hey, what's going on with XYZ? I can look at that list and she will have left kind of her last thought process on it or the last update that we have so that then I can look through it and I'm like, oh, okay, I know that this is happening for this client, this is happening for that client. And then it, we're, we're kind of just always trying to be on the same page. We also put time aside 
to actually be able to update the thing. So there's some Mondays where I'm like, hey, I know this got taken off. I know this got taken off. And I mentioned Monday because Mondays are our in office days without fail. Like it needs to be a 911 if we're scheduling some sort of appointment, either personally or for business on a Monday. Those days are protected. It's the only day that all of our team is in the office and you're expected to be there so that we can all regroup and make sure that we have shit under control. So we don't fuck things up. So um, Mondays, I'm looking back through it and I'm like, hey, I know this got taken care of. I know this got taken care of. You know what? Take, take the next 30 minutes to go through your email and update this list so that everyone is on the same page. That's the secret. That's truly it. Um, we're not spreadsheet people. We're, I'm not like a trackable time person other than when it comes to client stuff. Um, we just we also communicate a lot. We have a group text message that we are live and die by as well. So we're, we're technology-based, definitely, but not so in that we rely heavily on an app. What is your favorite black framed round mirror? I'm wanting to add one. My favorite consumer retail level black frame round mirror is the 48 inch round mirror from CB2. It's like $2.99. Like it's as cheap as you could possibly get for that size. Definitely my favorite by far. Best practices as a mom and boss, managing time, vetting clients. What would you change? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, best practices. That is that is a really good one. I think, I think I'm just going to answer it this way. I think things that I am really strong on would be things like communication. I am a really good communicator. I feel like I put our team first and our clients first when I need to, which is usually most of the time. And I like to think that I am very open and that our team can talk to me about anything. And there are hard conversations that have to happen a lot. And sometimes I do have to be firm. And sometimes I have to say to our team or someone on our team, like, this isn't working and what can we do about it? We are not like point finger people. We're not, this is your fault people. We rise together and we fall together. And I think that culture that we have created really, really helps in kind of that balance arena, which is not even a real thing. I've talked about that too, but um, I think that that helps a lot. Managing time, being realistic with expectations. We will start to make a to-do list and I'll literally be like 21 things in and I'm like, okay, you guys just stop. Like, this is crazy. We're clearly not going to get to 21 things today. So let's put 10 on and really try to get those 10 done and then we'll start again tomorrow. Um, I think that has been a really, a really good one too. Vetting clients. We are experts in vetting clients and the reason why is because we know what we want and we won't compromise. So I never, ever, ever lower design fees. For the clients listening, I'm sure they can they can um, attest to that. And the reason why I never lower design fees is because I know exactly what it takes to service a project at the level that our clients expect. If I were to lower the design fee, would you expect less? Probably not. And if you are, and if you do as a client, don't do that. That's like, that's silly. You you should have a high expectation and that is why you are seeking professional design help. And we are definitely the team that can do it for you, but we know what we're worth and we know what we want and we know what kind of projects we wanna work on. And I truly believe that design is one of those amazing industries that you can find your person. Like there are so many different levels of beautiful. There are so many different looks of beautiful. There are so many different ways to do beautiful. There, there Your person is out there. And when you are 
on the design side of the design uh, or when you were on, yeah, truly the design side of being the designer and that kind of professional design, the more confident you are in your aesthetic and how you are different and how you are unique and how your process can help your clients, the more they will be willing to pay for it. Um, there's a lot of weight, as I've said before, in calling yourself an interior designer. It doesn't have everything to do with aesthetic. It has a lot to do with ethics and morals and client management and satisfaction and creativity and being open and um, having a high, high, high level of customer satisfaction. Um, all of those things, I think, can help you vet clients if you're confident in them and if you have established them. I don't think it changed anything in vetting clients. We have five pretty strong criteria, one of which is an organic connection. Our clients have to be realistic. We have to have a like timeline. We have to have a budget. There has to be a budget, right? It has to be something. Every project is not right for a designer and every client isn't right for a designer and every budget isn't right for a designer. So it is a rare time. Luckily, we've been able to build a profitable business on it, but it is a rare time when all of those things interact. Um, and I think last, we want to make sure that the client matches our aesthetic. And maybe that's actually first. I said last, and that's just because that's what came to mind. But we need to make sure that they want organic desert living. All we do is some iteration of organic desert living. You're never going to see us doing bold geometric. Like that's just not, that's not our cup of tea. I think it's beautiful. And I think like high level contemporary is stunning, but you wouldn't call us for high level contemporary. You would call us for organic desert living, bohemian, modern, new traditional, Spanish, um, mid-century, minimalist, all of those things, but um, probably not that, that high level contemporary. And I'd be more than happy to refer that person to someone who can suit them better because I believe so strongly in vetting clients and keeping keeping that vetting process really upbeat and happy. Like you don't ever want clients to feel defeated or feel um, discouraged or like they've been broken up with or you know any of that. You don't want that. You want the process to be open so that it's a collaborative kind of exchange of information so that you can really tell if you guys are a match. Communication too, you have to make sure you have the same communication style. We do a lot through email because we are always on the go. So if you have someone that wants to have a conversation every day, I don't know that that's going to be the perfect match when we tend to communicate via email as a team. And the second part of that question, what would you change? I wouldn't change anything. I definitely think that we can get better at some things. I think I can get better at some things. I still ride pretty high emotionally and I am a sensitive person. So when things start to get um, personal, kind of a bad, it's not that it's personal, but I, I definitely get charged and emotionally upset. Like clients still upset me. When we have to terminate a relationship, it's terrible and I lose sleep over it and I hate it. Um, there are, there are things that really get me worked up. So I think I would love to maybe be less emotional, less expressive, less, <laughs> less like that. Um, but I don't know that it's realistic that that will be something that I can change. I would love to have more hours in the day. I mean, I think everyone would, but, um, for the most part, I'm, I, we drive with, with what we're doing and there's always room for improvement for sure. But, but we're, we're definitely happy. Best place for kitchen handles and poles. This is a consumer question I'm thinking. So head to build.com. 
Honestly, they sell a variety of manufacturers of kitchen handles or just cabinet handles, knobs, poles, whatever you want to call them, um, in a variety of finishes. Always order samples. That's the other thing that I can I can give you. You want your poles and the rest of the hardware and, and metal finishes in a space to be complementing. Not matching, but complementing. So you're going to want to sample them and you're going to want to see them. So I would order one or two of the styles that you like. Get those at your house. Take a look at them and then go from there. Build.com is, is really a great resource. Um, so the hats. Meant to be worn way back on the head or on the forehead. That is so funny. So different hats are meant to be worn in different ways. A super wide brimmed hat, you can wear on the back of your head or you can wear it on your forehead and straight. Um, a fiddler, which is, I wear it a lot. Sometimes people call it a, a fishing cap, but it, I call it a fiddler. Fiddler is meant to be worn directly on your head just like a, a ball cap would be. Um, a wool fedora, typically on the top of your head or forehead, not on the back. So lots of different ways to wear a hat. If you want to join the hat game and you're not confident in your look in a hat, Start wearing it around your house. Same thing with like red lipstick. If you're not used to wearing red lipstick, start wearing it around your house so that you can get used to it, so that you start seeing yourself in your mirrors and around your house and you will really start start to get used to it. You can take pictures of yourself in it too. That helps. Look at them a little bit. All, all those things help. Did you dive right into owning your own business or was it a gradual change? No, I jumped completely off the side of the mountain with no net, no water below. That's how it went. <laughs> if you haven't listened to episode number one, I dive, I dive pretty deep. Um, I dive really deep into kind of how I got started and what my story is and all of that. So if that is a good listen, definitely go into that. Do you use a project management system? Which one? We do use a, we, we use a, a CRM, a customer relationship manager, if you will, um, which I would highly recommend. We use one called 17 Hats and it's actually geared more toward a solarpreneur as they call it. So now that we've grown to a team, we may be outgrowing it slightly. I don't know that it's it's doing what it used to do, but it is a really great place to keep all of our contacts. And we love that it has digital contract signatures. We love that you can put all of your leads in there. You can label them cool lead, hot lead. Um, you can label your projects. You can go back to old clients and add new projects. You can archive. As I mentioned, you can send contracts, invoices. You can do all of your bookkeeping through it too if you want to. Um, but that is the only system that we use other than QuickBooks. So we use QuickBooks and then we use 17 hats. We have definitely dabbled in some of the other design specific software like Studio Webware, um, Design Manager and um, Ivy. I, I loved some things about some of them and hated a lot of things about some of them. So for us, it's not something that we use day to day, but there are definitely resources out there if you feel like you are better with a project management system. Um, owning a rental property. I don't know what the question is there, but we had an episode specifically on Airbnb. So definitely listen to that one. How should you budget for a designer? New build versus reno. So new builds and renos from a design standpoint, it just completely depends on what the level of the renovation is, if it can compete with new build design pricing. So a new build is a very long process, typically about two years, um, at, at the least 16 months ish. So it's expensive, obviously. We are your liaison for the next two years. And um, it's expensive, period, end of story. And it should be expensive. It's a professional job and it's very much needed when you're building your own house. 
Um, a renovation can definitely be more cost effective and, and less design fees than a new build, but there are also some renovations. And because we're not building it from the ground up, we have to spend a lot of time researching and understanding what is going into this renovation and what types of materials we can spec, what the existing footprint is like. Are we moving things? Are we not? Do we need to know that there's a direct vent fireplace versus a vent free fireplace? Like there are just so many things that you have to know with a renovation that you don't always know. It can be expensive too. So from a budget standpoint, I'm just going to throw this out there. Typically, professional design fees will be somewhere between 5 and 20% of your overall budget on a renovation or a new build. 5 and 20. I know that's a big, 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 big number. But I think for my comfort, if I'm a consumer, I would try to budget around 10%. You should be spending about 10% on professional fees, whether it be your designer, your architect, however that works out, about 10%. I hope that helps. What's the five-year plan for Elko? Also, do you do any trainings to learn how to scale? So I think I kind of touched on business mentorship and um, coaching, consulting a little bit earlier. So that's definitely the answer for that. The five-year plan for Elko. That's a great question. Um, have I mentioned I want to write a book? I want to write a book. And I don't know if that's Elko as much as that's my own personal brand and, and what I want to do. Um, our plan is to stick with our bread and butter and what we love most, which is design. So we hope that we're always working in the residential design space. We do a little bit of boutique commercial if it's for the perfect project and the perfect client. Like we're super pumped to be doing this Australian inspired salon. Um, so that would be an example of boutique commercial. So we'll keep doing amazing design projects. We absolutely love our new builds. We hope to be developing on our own in the coming years. So that would be Vince and I and, and our company would actually be the developer and the designer and partner with a builder on properties like we do now with builders on spec homes. Um, we're hoping that our retail business continues to grow like it has. As I mentioned, we're opening our, opening our first flagship store. We really, really want to expand that and put that. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you guys hear that snoring? <laughs> that is from King, our black lab. I am actually at home today because I knew that I was recording this episode for lucky number 13, with which is questions and answers. And this guy is sitting right next to me, just snoring his face off, <laughs> getting completely in the way of my podcast. And I should probably re-record, but I don't want to lose all that info that I was just spewing out. So we're just going to keep on rolling. But um, that was big boy. It's my big boy king. So back to the five-year plan. We hope to grow our retail business. We hope to open more stores out of state. I think there's an interest right now in some private label lines. So I don't know if maybe we'll start designing our own clothes soon. I definitely think there's a lot to come from us in private label furniture. We love furniture. We love designing it. I hope that we can bring a consumer friendly line to you guys soon. Um, we may or may not be in talks for a show. Don't know where that will go. So we don't know. I don't know. I, I just hope that we are always your authority in organic desert living. I hope that we are always your authority in design in our little slice of the world. There is so much great design out there. So more than anything, I hope we continue to be inspired by this amazing community and industry that we're in that allows so, so, so much flexibility. But hopefully one of those things excites you. What are your tips and tricks for email marketing? So 
Email marketing has never been a strong suit of mine. I'm gonna say that right now. It is something that I've always done because you have to do it, but it's definitely not something that is high up on my strategy list, but it, it, it is on our marketing team's list. And I think the one bit of advice that I have is think about the way you like to receive email and what makes you actually open an email. If you can stay connected to what you like as a consumer, that should help you translate into your business and your brand so that you're not overdoing it or underdoing it or I think there's some major do's and don'ts in email marketing. I also think that email marketing is one of those topics that from a market level, there is so, so, so much content and so many resources out there for you. You can take a class, you can take a one day class, you can take a 10 day class, you can do videos on YouTube, you can use um, email marketing engines, we'll call them, or um, websites specifically, so that if you're using MailChimp or OmniSend, you can learn specifics about those those websites and how they work. So I do think it's it's a part of the marketing business, unlike some others, that is not super complicated, but that does have a lot of great resources. Has your hubby always been supportive of your endeavors? Yes, yes, he has. And I recognize that that is something that I am so so, so lucky to have. And I think because he always has been, I didn't realize how big of a challenge it is for some couples until really far into my business, until I started talking to enough other business owners that were sharing their struggles with me, which is, has been a recent thing. So yes, I recognize how rare that is. And I can honestly tell you that none of this would be possible aside from the fact that we have two beautiful children who require a mom and a dad and how much of that he picks up when he needs to and vice versa. Just as a couple, none of this would have been possible without him. There is a security there and a trust there and a love there and a plan there that we have had for so long that now that we've seen it come to fruition, we are both so committed to it that if we both weren't, I'm definitely very confident that we would not be where we are today. Would you guys ever create a YouTube channel as another way to show off your work? Oh, video is where it's at and I love video and I feel like there is a really great way to do video and a really shitty way to do video. And the difference in just doing it to do it and, and doing it kind of medium or doing it well is like countless, countless, countless hours. Definitely a professional. I don't have time to edit video. I don't even, I mean, I know how to shoot iPhoneography video, but like we are just, we're not there yet. And it's, it's okay for me to say that. We have an interest. I know YouTube is where it's at. I also feel like there are so many resources for what you guys may wanna see on YouTube, which we always get requests for DIY and how do I make a bed and this, that, and the other thing. And I, I do feel like there are already great professionally produced videos out there that can do that for you. So once we can figure out how we can leave a unique footprint reflecting organic desert living on YouTube is probably when we'll start doing it. And maybe that will be soon, or maybe that will be a while, I'm not sure. But yes, we love video, I love watching it. I definitely think that it's it's where the future is going. Want deets on the work fashion guidebook I mentioned in a previous episode. So we have, we're on Pinterest, and I'm so proud because our Pinterest page just rose to 4.5 million views, and it's been something that Kelly, our marketing manager, and I have been working on for since the day she started. It's super important to me. I love Pinterest. 
it's such an awesome inspiration to have an inspirational tool to have as a resource for consumers and for designers and anyone creative. So I believe really strongly in it. So if you want in on our fashion, the best place to look is on our Pinterest page. So you can just go to Pinterest and type in the Lifestyle Company or the Lifestyle Co. and it will come up. And on our fashion board is where we pin a whole bunch of our fashion stuff. And then we have an internal board that is called the Elco Dress and Style Inspo Board. And that is where we pin like looks that reflect our style as a brand. So we definitely have a look. Oh my gosh, he's now like scratching his ears like he's just been in a pool because he probably has been in a pool because it's still 180 here. Um, anyway, <laughs> you're getting a little lab love in this 13th episode. Um, anyway, so we have, we have a look, we like to keep things minimal and kind of utilitarian, but, f but with a hint of femininity and ruffles and, um, smocking, but a beautiful menswear line and beautiful dresses and amazing shoes and boots and, uh, all the goodness of fashion that's out there. And so every season we get on and kind of pin more things and more looks so that everyone are on our team can stay cohesive. From a dress code standpoint, we don't necessarily have a dress code, but we definitely have a color guide. We, we don't wear hot pink. Um, not that I have anything against hot pink. There should be plenty of other times that you can wear hot pink in your life. But while you're at work, um, we like to keep it organic desert living, right? And so that board really helps us all to stay in line with, with what we think organic desert living is. Do you have any tips for getting into design? I'm currently working in real estate. I'm glad you know the difference between real estate and design because while they intersect, they are very different professional jobs. I would listen to episode five and listen to episode 11. Both of them are, or actually I think it's episode 10, 10 or 11. I think it's 11, our design process. Listen to both because we definitely give tidbits of information from myself and the team in, uh, in terms of how we feel it's best for you to break into the world of design. Um, last question. And I wish you guys, we got hundreds of questions and I wish I could spend this entire, you know, I wish I could sit here for hours and hours and hours and open and answer them. Um, but I hope the questions that we chose were entertaining for you guys. I hope you loved the Barb's bonus episode. We're going to end on this question and then we'll see where we go from here. If I don't see you back on the wave, waves, sound waves, I guess, the sound waves of um, iTunes and Spotify listening to the podcast. I know I will see you on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Kristen Forgione. Our brand Instagram is at The Lifestyle Co. This has been such an amazing ride. I promised I wouldn't get all emo um, and it's not goodbye. Last question. Where does your nickname Barb's come from? Same with Blanche. I swear we've talked about this before, but I forget who I tell what to. So this has be become kind of a saving grace, if you will. We started the nicknames. Oh my God. Can you hear the panting? You guys, we got to end this. Um, we started the nicknames because we kind of realized that when we were doing stupid shit, it all seemed to be kind of the same kind of stupid shit, right? Like we would forget something. We would, um, we would not order something. We would order too much of something. We were just kind of like, oh, like, oh, was that, was that Blanche? Was that Barb? And so we gave each other these nicknames. Originally it was Blanche, Barb, and Betty. And Betty doesn't work for us anymore. Um, it was yucky and ugly and horrible and I can't go there, but um, it totally stuck for all three of us. And obviously I kept Barb's and Kylie kept Blanche. And now with all the new people we have, we don't give them nicknames for the most part. Um, Kelly has Rhonda who comes and goes. Um, but for the most part, we don't give anybody else nicknames because 
they can't be screwing up. Like Amy is our director of ops. She has to keep her shit together. So she doesn't get a get out of jail free card like I do, which is Barb's and Kylie is Blanche. And so we really just started it as an easy way to be like, yeah, uh huh, that was me to kind of own it. But it's not me. It was Barb's. And so I sign emails and text messages like, yo, Barb here. And it's typically when I'm going to lay down the law or I'm going to be really direct or I fucked up and I need to be like, hey, I fucked up. Can you guys help me? So truly, the nickname started as just an alter ego type of way, Sasha Fierce, Beyonce, you know, type of way to just be human and be like, I owned it and I screwed up. Can you help me? Or it's really funny or I did this or I can't believe this happened. And we just kind of all ended up really taking a liking to it. And it has completely stuck. It's on my business card. My daughters know my nickname is Barb. Um, I've met people at market before who thought that my, my actual name was Barb. Then they see my, my badge and they're like, Oh my, Oh, your name's Kristen before I changed my, my handle. And it was at the lifestyle or at lifestyle co. So anyway, I could go on and on. Thank you guys for embracing us. Thank you for loving us. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Chat soon.